Hey everyone, got a bonus episode for you today. I sat down with Maven Optics, um, specifically Molly Sheridan, who is a uh, an employee at, at Maven, um, and also a competitive rifle shooter. She was full of good knowledge on binoculars and some of the things you want to look at when you're buying a new pair of binoculars or uh, a rifle scope, and then we got into some information on um, how to become a better rifle shot. So I hope you guys like this one. Let's get right into the episode. Don't forget to go over to Before the Echoes YouTube channel and subscribe, and don't miss an episode on there either. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Um, kind of got a bonus episode for, for everybody this week. We're going to sit down with uh, Maven Optics and talk about binoculars and, and rifle scopes. And we have uh, Molly Sheridan kind of on my, my right side. I think it's my right side, left side. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, Molly, can you uh, kind of tell us who, who you are and, and who you work for? Uh, Maven. Yeah. Optics? So my name is Molly Sheridan. I'm the lead service and sales for Maven. Um, I'm kind of the rifle scope expert on our side of the office as well. Um, I've been with the company now four years in December, so that's pretty exciting. I come from an extensive uh, hunting background, but um, glass. So I started off in auto glass, and now I'm here in optical glass, which is pretty interesting. Um, so a little different change of pace. Um, so I came to work for the company in 2008, or not 2018. <laughs> And uh, so this company is unique. Uh, this company was started in 2013 by Brendan Weaver, Mike Lilligren, and Kate Mastis. Um, if you know anything about Maven, we're a high performance consumer direct optics company based out of Lander, Wyoming. Um, what makes us unique is we come from a small town. We offer that small town service, but we're, since we're consumer direct, we don't compromise quality of our optic. Um, and offer it to you at a more affordable price point by cutting out that middleman. So no big box stores, no wholesalers or retailers anywhere across the U.S. Right. So but you guys, you guys like I, I, I always uh, find a struggle with like direct to consumer companies because I, I, I have quite a bit of the stuff I use as a direct to consumer company now. Uh, and one of the struggles is like can't really try the stuff real easily before uh, you yeah. buy it. But but you guys have like a um, um, a demo program, don't you? We do. You still have that? Yeah. Yeah. So since you can't get your hands on our optics, unless you see us at one of the almost 40 trade shows we travel across the country to a year, um, we offer the demo program. So that gives you the opportunity to send a lightly used, like new optic straight to your door. We encourage you to use it and try it. You have two weeks from when you receive it in the mail to put it through its paces. If you don't like it, send it back. Um, We'll give you a refund, no big deal. You're just out the initial $15 shipping to send it to you. We cover the shipping back to us with a prepaid return shipping label, but that gives you the opportunity to then build a custom or get something new that you really wanted or try something different to see if it fits your application a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, that's something that a company that's, you know, just sold at Cabela's or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Like that's something they don't, can't really offer. Like you can't, no. you can, you can go to Cabela's and look through a pair of binoculars in the store and yeah. You know, under the artificial uh, light, and yeah, exactly. Not Look very the often big... they'll actually like walk you to the door yeah. to go use it. Yeah, exactly. And if and if you can, you're kind of in. Usually, you're in some big city where you can't really see yeah. very far anyway. Exactly. Um. Anyway, I think that's important a point to make. Um. Anyway, all right. Let's get into like some binoculars and and uh, rifle scope stuff. If that's all right with you. Mm, yeah. Sure. Um. I just. <laughs> In my opinion, like 
uh, binoculars for me in the whitetail world is like one the one of the other than my bow and like my tree stand. It's like the one piece of gear that is always on me. And I feel like binoculars and probably rifle scopes, uh, you know, in that manner are probably one of the most overlooked, like less paid attention to piece of gear that could really help a whitetail hunter. Um, seems like a lot of whitetail guys will buy a thousand dollar rifle and then put a $50 scope on, on top of it. Um, or they got some binoculars look like they pulled them out of their, their grandpa's, uh, um, shed or something. And they're still using some, you know, Tasco Walmart brand binoculars. Um, and I, I don't know why that is in the whitetail world, but that's just like the, the vibe I get from, uh, from the whitetails. And it's such an important piece of gear to yeah. me. I kind of wanted to get an expert on to like share why I think it's so important in a better way. Cause I don't, you know, I'm not technical with binoculars. I just, um, happen to like them a lot. And that's kind of why I was, I reached out to you guys. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I think one thing that scares most people away from buying good binoculars or a good rifle scope is because of the price of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about like price ranges of optics and kind of what you're getting at those price ranges and why, you know, us as whitetail hunters, or if you're going out West or whatever the case may be, may want to bump up, you know, this price range from this price range, uh, to the real expensive stuff. Yeah. Right. Before, touch on that. Perfect. Yeah. Right before we jump into that, let's like talk about the market here and yeah. how we've gotten to this point of why that is acceptable and why you pay certain price points. Um, and that has to start with that big box store, right? So you're looking at, so, Okay, so when you, these big optics companies, so the European companies all the way to Great Lakes company nearby you, um, they have a sales rep who takes a percentage, they have a big box store that takes a percentage. And this is almost to the detriment of the industry because um, this sets a trend that they need large quantities at certain prices. So they they push back to the optics companies, and, oops, sorry, table. Uh, they push okay. back to the optics companies and they're like, okay, so we want this product because we know it'll sell at this price point and we can sell a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna comp, we're gonna ask you to cut back on coatings, materials, different aspects of that optic. That way we can sell it at a certain niche. And so the buyer's actually determining what you get in the store and not what like we want our product to be. So that's a huge industry trendsetter that's maybe not the best but it's something that definitely sets the market for what you're getting in the store. So, and I'll touch base on that in relation to whitetails here in a minute. But so now when you're going to Walmart and you're buying this $50 product, you're getting something that's probably very plasticky, very cheap. Yes, it has all these reflective coatings and can amplify that image to make it work in the field, but you're gonna sacrifice a lot on light performance. You're gonna sacrifice a lot on chromatic aberration. Um, so you'll get more color fringing on the outsides of those optics to where you go and spend from Maven to Swarovski, uh, you're gonna, Get a lot better light transmission. You're going to get a better, uh, better color fidelity through that color system, um, to where you'll notice that stark difference between two. And I guess you know the whitetail hunter comes from an adage of, well, my grandpa's worn flannel in the woods and has killed all these bucks since forever and ever. I mean, my grandfather came over from Sweden. He's hunting in pretty much what looks like lederhosen antelope out west no problems, kills plenty of big things. So there's right. kind of this market incentive on the lower end of the whitetail market of I've done this in jeans. I've done this and you know, why do I need to spend any more money? I still can harvest that big buck and come home. And that's absolutely the truth. I mean, you don't move 
it makes a huge difference in your hunt. Um, but when you're really trying to sneak in on that old buck that you've never really seen and you only have them on night vision or your trail cams, that's where, you know, having proper concealment to catch them during the day, you know, investing in good optics to catch that ear flick in the woods, like mm -hmm. being able to separate that out. You won't get that in that $50 Tasco to where you're going to get that in a much more premium binocular catching that little ear flick as he's walking through the woods and you don't quite see him yet. Yeah. And generally in the whitetail world, like our whole world is typically that last 15 to 30 minutes of, of daylight. And that's where, you know, I've found the huge benefit of, of right. spending a little bit more on optics, um, being able to, you know, you can see perfectly fine through them after light, you know, even, um, after legal light. So, and that's still uh, true here out West too, picking those bucks oh, and yeah. bulls coming out of their beds. Like you spend a significant amount of time glassing first thing in the morning before the sun's even up and watching them bed till the sun goes down. So it's very true Western and Eastern hunting. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Uh, sorry if you don't want me to ask this or not, but like, what is the, in, in the optic industry, and this is something that probably, uh, it's, it's irrelevant, but like, what does Swarovski and some of those European glass companies have? Do they have like a patent or something on a certain glass to, um, that doesn't allow certain other optic companies to produce the same type of optics they have? Yeah, more or less. Yes. So anymore, there's a few big companies that make glass. So you got a high-end company out of Japan, the high couple high-end companies out of Europe and mm -hmm you're contracting the glass. So take shot glass, for example, I see another rival consumer direct company market that they use shot glass in their optics and shot glass has some meaning, but it's changed over the years as Zeiss and whatnot is separated out, but Zeiss still buys their alpha grade and no one else can buy that. And mm. so you get various grades of glass from there that fit into certain price points. And that's where you, not all shot glass is the same because you're contracting out glass coatings, everything. And some of that is legally tied up and you can't get into it. Hmm. Interesting. But no, then you've I, I, got to fit it all on a certain price point too. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always wondered that because there's like just a few companies and everybody knows who they are, but it's like, right. They are significantly more expensive than everybody else by a couple thousand dollars. Typically. Some um, of that's also name brand recognition too. Like they've been, those certain European countries have been noted as the glass companies for years and years and years. And uh, Japan's had to do a little catch up. They've uh, so we source our glass from Japan. We're as far as I know, the only ones buying this alpha grade glass out of Japan to compete against the high end European brands. Mm -hmm. um, and so they've been making this high end glass for cameras and all sorts of stuff for years. And no one was really buying it because other certain American companies don't want to have a product that's priced in that Swarovski level price point. So it definitely opened us up to come in and uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Um, when the boys started this company about nine years ago, there was a hole in that glass company and they're like, well, let's start a business around that. And so Kuyu had just come out two years earlier doing that consumer direct kind of marketing that high end mm -hmm. consumer direct business model as after they split from Sitka and it kind of pioneered that online driven sales market that the guys are like, Ooh, this would really fit 
what we want to do with this alpha grade glass. And so we jumped in on that, buying this alpha grade glass and coatings and bringing it consumer direct. And that kind of gave us that end to compete against those high European brands. Right. But you guys don't, you guys don't just have those really high end, no uh, expensive optics. You guys have some options for someone that, you know, sometimes yeah. for some people, $200 is kind of a, a lot of money for, a pair of binoculars and maybe that's all you have have to spend and that's you guys have uh, that market also we do so we uh, have market a mid-level brand called our c-series so mm-hmm. our b-series was our first one b for binocular we didn't think this out when we wanted to name a new line and so we called it our c-series and that is going to be the more budget driven but mid-level higher end performance without busting the bank it's like an f-150 and a ferrari um, that F-150 is going to be that tried and true line that we know is going to perform day in and day out. And that's our C-series. Yeah. That's a really good option for someone that doesn't want to, you know, can't, can't quite spend that extra $800 or whatever, however much more it is. Yeah, it's, absolutely. it's pretty significantly more. So what's the difference there? Like what's the difference between those 200, I, I don't know if it's $200, I can't remember, but $200, you know, C-series versus, you know, a $1,200 B-series optic. Yeah. Absolutely. So my two series, my mid-level, my premium, my mid-level is going to compete like a Viper HD, Lupa Pro Guide, right in that level of optical performance, but at consumer direct pricing. And then my B series goes against the high-end European brands. But what you're going to get is you're going to get glass that doesn't quite make the mark to be in my B series. You're going to get uh, chassis material and body material and coatings that more reflect that price point to compete in that big box store price point against those brands um, where you're going to get the Cadillac version of everything in my B series of premium glass coatings. Like the thing that you'll notice when you get into a premium coated optic and premium glass is that they're heavy, like European glass, all that we've found nothing better that performs over hundred percent glass in the optical system at this time. So anything premium will have some heft to it, which scares a lot of whitetail hunters because they sit in a tree stand. They don't want something over their neck every day. And I get that too, Um, you know, holding something, but there's other optics uh, accessories to help you distribute that weight and use it a little more effectively if you wanted to stay in that premium line. But the C-series is a nice blend of those elements to have a little bit of weight savings while maintaining that higher mid-grade performance at a much more affordable price point. So my C110s, uh, 10 by 42, they're going to run about 425 instead of somewhere around six plus. Right. Right. Yeah. I've used the, my dad has the C10 by 42s and he loves them. Um, and then I have, I have the B. I can't remember which one now. They're 10 by 42s, the Bs though. Yeah. The B1s. Um, B1s. Yeah. Yeah, we just um, redesigned those this year, so now they're the B one point two. I have the one point twos. I yep. just got them not that long ago. Uh, that's why I couldn't remember because I knew it was some. I thought I was going to say one point five, but one point two. Yeah, we is. can talk a little difference on prisms and stuff as we get onto that too. And yeah, for what sure, what makes those tick? Um, let's just get into that right now, then. Yeah, if that's all right. Yeah. So in light, but in binocular land, you'll see probably three different prisms used. You'll see a Poro prism, a Schmidt Peschen, and an Abbe Koenig. People commonly butcher those names. So if you do, don't worry, you're not alone. So the Poro prisms are really fat. They're really wide and they're very simple and they do incredible light transmission, but they really offer nothing else performance wise, like chromatic aberration and that sort of stuff. 
they're just very basic, very cheap. So you see a lot of those at the Walmarts, um, those wider binoculars than uh, you do probably anywhere else. And then most of the industry has moved forward from those. And now we see a lot of Schmidt Pessions and Schmidt Pessions were like the industry standard for years. Um, it's a nice little compact prism. I should have brought those in with me. Uh, it's a nice little compact prism, gives you pretty good performance while keeping that compact stature of a binocular. And then there's the Abbott Koenig prism. And those are gonna be a little more linear in design, but the, what makes those special and makes those tick is that because of that linear design, it doesn't require as much refraction through the optical system to get that light out and upright to your eye. Um, so you get better light transmission through this linear shape design, um, which is really cool. So you get about 3%. Um, but that's where scare, it scares people a little bit because it's like, oh, now I have a slightly taller optic that I have to deal with and find a chest harness for. But the low yeah. light transmission is fantastic. So that's been probably the premier prism system for some significant time now. Uh, recently, we have redesigned our Schmidt Passion prism, the more compact one to be wider. And this gives us better light transmission through the optic and a wider field of view than the previous B1 10 by 42 that we were offering last or almost two years ago and yeah. competes us a little higher against those higher end Swarovski products that have advanced as well. Yeah. And I've, I've used the, you know, like a Swarovski binocular before. Um, and it just seems like for the money you can get a set of the B1 or B1.2s. It's just like the difference is, I, I couldn't tell, be honest with you. Like it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be worth to me to spend the extra probably like two grand or, you know, yeah. over a thousand dollars to get, uh, the, the binoculars, especially as a whitetail hunter. Yeah. And that's the thing is probably what I see from a lot of guides and outfitters and stuff that I work with that are hands on both these products all the time. It's probably about 3% difference between the two products. Maybe yeah. I mean, okay. we win some points or we meet them on some points. Maybe we don't quite make it on other points, but it's so close that how do you justify that 3% into another $2,000? Yeah. And I was going to ask you to, to try to quantify like the price points and the percentages of it. Cause I always think like, like a hundred dollar set of binoculars from, from Walmart, you know, uh, you know, that's kind of your down here at the bottom of the barrel. And then, you know, uh, a $500 set of binoculars, like probably, you know, eight times better. Yeah. Uh, but then like a $800 set of binoculars only like maybe two times better than that one. And then as it gets, as you get higher, you get less for your money. It seems like to me. Yeah. Just between my two series alone is probably roughly 10 to 15% in difference, but just that much in coatings and glass, it's very expensive to do just a little bit of change uh, yeah. that you see this huge price difference from my $425 C1 to my $950,000 B1.2 in the 10 by 42s. Like it's yeah. a huge jump just to do that much performance. It does cost some money to do that kind of quality. But I mean, 15%, you know, that could be, you're seeing 10 more minutes in low light, you know, exactly uh, something like that, which is very important in, in the hunting world in, in general. Yeah. Um, That's and, absolutely right. Yeah. And it's like, how a, a good pair of binoculars like your guys's mavens are gonna if you take care of them they're gonna last you the rest of your life too so right that uh people get so afraid to spend a few hundred more dollars on something and it's like in reality if you stretch that over however long you're gonna have these things 10 years 15 years whatever 30 years you know it's like it's, it's dollars every month like it's not very much yeah 
Um, and with us being consumer direct, like we put a lot more money into our product. We try to build a product that we can actually repair instead of something that we're going to toss away and just send you a brand new one. Like you get your binocular back because using quality glass and components, if we can repair it, odds are it's not going to fail as readily as something that's meant to be tossed. Yeah. And there's another, um, there's another optics company that like, I hear this a lot. It's like, well, they, they have a lifetime warranty, no questions asked. You know, it's like, yeah, so does everybody else. Yeah, it's uh, pretty industry standard for many. I know, years. yeah. <laughs> They've, uh, that certain company has really uh, marketed their entire company on that policy, which yeah. is not our thing because uh, we really try to push that premium quality experience through our C-series and our B-series. Um, we hope you never have to use it. And I probably will sure. ask questions because sometimes the stories are outstanding. Um when I get some warranty work back and it's like, okay, what really happened to these? Yeah. So for example, this one lady, her husband's a wildlife photographer and they go all over Africa and uh, Asia and whatnot. And they're in Uganda for photographing gorillas. And uh, this one gorilla just reached out there, grabbed them off her chest and threw them in a rock. Wow. Really? Yep. She sends back in pieces. She's like, I'm so sorry. I will pay for these. Like, I love these things, please. And like, no, don't worry about it. Yeah. I'm happy I asked, but we will absolutely take care of this. We got it all fixed up or to what extent we could, if we, I can't remember if we replaced it or not, but got her another unit out and she was like the happiest customer ever. Cause I mean, that's our warranty. I mean, if anything fails optically, we will take care of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there any, any other details about like binoculars you got, you want to want to cover before we go, go yeah. on to like scopes? Keep going oh, then. This is my favorite. So I'm going to grab this. Yeah. So my favorite thing is, so I get a white tail hunter that I've been working with all week and he's looking for a new tree stand set. Right. And yeah. he is torn back and forth. This is probably my, one of my number one selling binoculars for white tail hunting. Bo Martonic uses this uh, from East meets, East meets West. West. Yep. And uh, this is the B3 eight by 30. And so he's back and forth about, Oh my gosh, what, what do I use? Like, do I get the eights? Do I get the sixes? Cause I offer this in a really unique six power as well. And he's like, Oh, which one do I get? And I'm like, dude, are you coming out West at all? And he's like, no, I'm like get the six by thirties. And he's like, really, am I going to see everything I need to see? And I'm like, dude, trust me, like the exit pupil on these. So there's a little beam of light that comes through this binocular. And as you go up in magnification, that beam of light will shrink. Mm -hmm. And as you go lower, like six power, uh, it'll open up and you'll have a little bit wider exit people. So the 10 power is going to be smaller. The six is going to be bigger. And I'm like, trust me, get something with the best brightness you can get. Like I know the American market's very thirsty for more powers, more better. And that's like, everyone's mind is set on that. And it's not exactly right. Um, yeah. Here at Maven, most of us have the one-off power of everything we own. Like the 11 by 45s are my number one seller for Western hunting. I run the nines. My boss runs the nines. My coworker runs an eight by 42 and we're out West glassing a, va a vast terrain, but mm -hmm. the brightness we get, like I, I can almost nitpick antlers better than somebody that's got a big 15 power. Um, just because my eyes are taking in more light, which helps me develop a better picture. And so I've talked to this guy about it for probably an hour on chat yesterday and told him, I was like, dude, just try the sixes. You'll be seeing ear flicks at the low light that you've never seen before. So Hopefully that's where he goes, but um, more power is not always better. And 
that's one thing I preach really heavily here at the office uh, that a lot of us really actually believe in a lot because it does make a difference and people get all tied up as I need to see more detail. I need to see more of this. Well, you go up in that magnification, shrink that down. You're maybe not seeing quite as much as you think you're seeing for the cost of going up in that magnification. Yeah, for sure. And like you're uh... Uh, something else that like people need to keep in mind, like the, the higher the magnification too, it's like a little harder to look through those things, hard to keep them stable, um, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. As you go up in magnification, it does emphasize that movement. So if you got a light shake, it's a big shake. And sure. uh, that is also detrimental. If you can't hold your binoculars still, what are you really seeing? You can't sit there and count the tines or anything. And so if you start getting in the woods and you're kind of excited or you're cold and trying to use your optics, stay down and powered. So you're going to be easier to use. You're going to see more things because you can hold them. Yeah, for sure. And that's, especially when you're up in a tree, 20 feet and you're trying to, you're trying to lean over somewhere to, yeah. To, to, you're to look sitting at out of your you know. saddle, just like trying yeah, to exactly. <laughs> hanging around up there, trying to be stable. I've done that and, a few times. And, uh, yeah. All that stuff makes a huge difference. And then also uh, I need to get a pair of those, uh, uh, the sixes. I'd love to have those for hunting the hills here. They're perfect. Because... You can just tuck them right in your jacket. Yeah. And I keep and... them on a Rick Young and they, they just tuck right away. And so if I'm on tree stand and I got all this stuff on, it's like the perfect complement to what I'm doing because they're just right there. They're easy to use. I can use them mm-hmm. one handed. They're just a small, nice and compact pair. Yeah. They're I can use about the size of your hand. Yeah. yeah. They're not even the size of your hand. They're not very big. Um, and then they're also, you said 30. Uh, the field of yeah. view was it? I don't, I'm horrible. The technical terms is it, is it the field of view, the second number, correct? No, no, no. So, in a binocular, what an eight by 30 means so eight yeah. is magnification, then 30 will be the size of your objective. Okay, so if you divide, you know, like take a 10 by 42 binocular, so if you take 10 into 42, you're going to get a 4.2 millimeter exit pupil. Uh, this number the magnification and objective can also be used to calculate brightness and all sorts of stuff. And that's where terms start getting interesting because when you had old school binoculars that weren't coded in anything like those numbers had real value and Mm -hmm. now they still retain certain value, but the quality of codings and everything we use on these binoculars. Now your perceived brightness is going to be emphasized more than the mathematical brightness that you see on the screen. So I get lots of customers asking me, you know, what does twilight factor mean to me? What does brightness mean to me? And it's like, well, these are baseline numbers, but they actually have bigger values when you pair them with quality coatings and glass. So, cause gotcha. like an, an eight by 42 Tasco is going to have the same brightness value and whatnot mathematically as an eight by 42 Maven. That doesn't yeah. mean they both perform on the same par. Your perceived brightness is going to be less in one model versus the other. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I have the, I do have a little the 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 C. Um, I think you're like seven by twenty eight, maybe or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And uh, I wish I kind of had. I wish I would have went with the those Bs that are six power. Yeah. So I love those C's though. They're great. I keep them in the truck console. I use them turkey hunting just because they slip in my pocket a little bit better. Um, And so there's definitely a time and a place for that kind of a binocular. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at all around daily performance, stepping into something just a little bit bigger, your eyes will get a little less fatigued. Um, You'll have better brightness through that optic. And I get people want to stay compact and have that kind of performance, but 
there's certain realms of physics we haven't yet busted. Right. And I, I have the B, the 10 by 42s, the 1.2s, but I like that idea of that little compact thing for hunting where I'm not or to have on me still um, when, when something like a 10 by 42 is not needed at all. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. But anyway, those may be my next, my next uh, pickup. Um, so I, I would, uh, I'd be dismissed if I didn't talk to you about uh, rifle scopes since you're a competitive rifle shooter. Um, and that's a, that's a rabbit hole that I haven't started going down and I I'm, I'm going to pretty soon. Uh, I got one of your guys's, uh, uh, B series rifle scopes. So it's the RS series. RS series. Yeah. Yeah. RS. Um, I just got that in and, and mounted it on my, on my rifle. Um, but can you kind of give us the same spiel if, if there's anything different at all when it comes to rifle scopes, when the, you know, the, the $50 Tasco from Walmart versus going up to um, something like your guys, your, your C's, you, your, your kind of lower uh, price range is a C, right? Yeah. So I just came out with that last winter. Um, my C series is going to be my mid-level that goes against, you know, that same kind of mid-level price brand that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. What makes that nice is that still being consumer direct, you're still going to get into a higher level mid, mid grade optic for that price point, saving you at least 20 to, or 20 to 30% on that um, in my C series. And then my RS series is going to go against the high end European brands. So like I commonly call it like glass quality of Swarovski with the rugged durability of the night force with that, without that overbuilt filling. So they're still really reliable, really durable, repeatable optics that you can get at, instead of paying $3,000, you're paying, 1800 for my top competitive rifle scope um so that's always super interesting so my c series i came out with last last winter and they're really cool um what i like about these is the quality of components sorry jiggling the glass the quality components in the glass in this is exceptional they're out they're made in japan um there's a lot of folks making stuff in japan right now but um this is uniquely made them like we're hands on top to bottom this is our engineered product and the beauty of these, so we introduced two rifle scopes to start the launch, and they're really two rifle scopes that are driven to the American hunting market from coast to coast. Like, this is something a whitetail hunter to an elk hunter could use and have zero problems. Um, something like this, this is my CRS-1, it's 3 to 12, um, no parallax adjustment, but it's a clean 510 and 20 MOA holdover. This is something you could use whitetail hunting and have that reach capability. If you came out West, you have enough dope. Uh, what those MOA values mean to you, we call it dope, because um, you calculate that out for every rifle. But that all has enough meaning for you to be successful coming out West while still staying in that smaller light package that you get in that mid-level without breaking the bank. So this retails about $450, um, competes closer to something $700. Okay. And so then if you get into a little bit, sorry, not a user-friendly system, you get into a little bit larger rifle scope. So this is my 4 to 16. This offers some parallax adjustments. So if you get one a little 22 plinker in the woods, you got that nice low parallax adjustment. I think it's 25 yards, um, which is great. And then you can go all the way up to infinity, past 500. So if you are wanting to start stepping out and practicing those little bit longer range shots, if you're shooting something a little more aggressive, like a 65 PRC, that 10 MOA is going to be quite the lob. 
this offers a lot of nice to go with it. It's not something I would probably compete with, but if you wanted the all around hunting rifle scope, that is a great way to go in my mid-level line and that retails at 550. And so now is where you start stepping into a little bit of difference from the mid-level line to the premium line. So now the premium line is gonna offer my alpha grade glass, but that consumer direct price point. And the two scopes I really like to show whitetail hunters when I travel is this little two to 10. I mean, everyone's grown up with the like three to nine red field, the three to nine loophole. Yep. Like this is a tried and true size for performance. And everyone's super comfortable with something like this and for in second focal plane, because they grew up on this. Your grandfather taught you to shoot this, your dad did. Um, I did. I have a three to nine red field here in the in the back that I pulled off a old 30 odd six that I had in my grandfather's and sits on the shelf as a reminder of where I've come. And they're just, they're good. Uh, you get lots of performance. You can come out west. You can hunt elk with them. And that's where people get a little overwhelmed thinking I need to have a great big rifle scope to come out west and shoot elk. Well, not every elk hunt is going to be a 600-yard elk hunt. Um, if you're a good hunter, you come out, you spend some time, like, learning the train and getting involved, like, you could probably take a shot 400 yards and in, and you're doing pretty good. Like, I don't think I've ever taken an elk over 400 yards yet in my illustrious hunting career. Yeah. And also like, uh, no offense to everybody out East, but like 400 yards is a freaking long way. Like yeah. whenever you look, when you look through something, uh, and you're, if you're not a, like a avid shooter and you look through something at a scope of 400 yards, you're just like, Ooh, like, I don't know if I can, <laughs> you so, know, by myself. Uh, and that's where, that's what I need to, that's what I, my goal in the near future is to get to be a better rifle shot. Yeah. Um, something I haven't committed to. Yeah, yeah. I have property in Michigan. My husband's from Michigan. So we go back oh, out nice. there a lot. And so every year I go back and they're like, Oh, how far did you shoot your elk? And I'm like, well, I shot her at 340 this year. And they all lose their minds. 340. It's so long. Wow. And like for here, it's like, Oh, that's a normal shot for us. Right. Like, right. That's, like, that's about where I, that's where I, I sighted average. in. Yeah. 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 So we sighted um, all our rifles around 200 yards, but yeah, throws right. everyone off. Right. And, uh, that's one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, could you give me like, maybe like five tips on how to become a better rifle shot? Like someone like me that hunts in Indiana where, you know, for years and years, I could only shoot a shotgun. Um, I don't oh know gosh. if you could throw, throw some, some tips to me. I to scratched a, a list out eight different times, like trying oh, yeah. to hone in my, like my hot tips for being a yeah. good rifle shooter. And like, I come from it now from the competitive background now that I shoot a lot of precision rifle. Um, so I, I've diversified like how I handle training employees here, um, getting them ready for hunting season. And it's kind of influenced, uh, my philosophy now as I've gone from just being the regular, uh, I shot my elk on this two to 10 and I've used this same reticle. Like, I don't know anything different. Like, I just know this is where it goes. I've never calculated my dope. I've just tried it out at the range. And like, I've moved so far past this now that most hunters are like dial, dial, dial three, 200 yards. Great. I can go deer hunting. They figure out where, that holdover is in their scope, right? And then that's all they know. And so my tips on being a better shooter is, I think first is shoot more than 20 rounds a year. 
Um, the thing I encounter a lot with people, like I'm talking to a guy in Minnesota right now who has no idea how his rifle scope really actually works. Um, and that's because he's just never really shot it and, and engaged with it to know. And yeah. so when you foresight your rifle, if you're paying attention, when you dial up, your reticle goes down. Right. And so mm -hmm. he is like mind blown. Like, I don't understand why is it going down? And it's like, well, it's, it's trying to help you meet the, the bore of your reticle, the bore to your reticle. So it's trying to adjust that cant to where they meet at a hundred yards. And if you're shooting, if you're bore sighting and you shoot one down left, the reticle needs to move down to meet where your bore is at a hundred yards. I, I can't move the bullet up. I have to move the reticle down. And that will bring my rifle in plane to where it needs to go downrange to be on at a hundred yards. And so if you shoot only like once or twice a year for like two or three rounds out of a box, you really have no concept of how that works and affects your rifle scope. And the other thing that comes with shooting more than 20 rounds a year is like the trigger time, being able to breathe, come up with a routine of how you approach the gun at every shot. Like this is how you avoid that trigger panic mm -hmm. is by being comfortable and methodical through that process. So when you get on a big deer, that buck fever that happens, like, Oh, I have a process. I'm going to breathe and I'm going to lightly squeeze that trigger. And how you look at the reticle down your, down at your uh, deer that you're working on, that's going to be a whole other thing too. Like, so I'm breathing. Where's my reticle? Is my reticle on center of mass or is my reticle moving? Like, and how do you deal with that? And so if you don't shoot more than 20 times a year or 20 bullets a year, you're really missing out on what actually makes you a good marksman and how to handle those different situations. So that's a huge one for me. Um, to that end, um, I get a lot of guys that get online, they're chatting in the Maven Optics Enthusiast group on Facebook or this and that. And it's like, why does my dope not do these things? Like, so I'm sitting here and I, I've used a generic, ballistic solver online and this is what it should be and invest in some good ballistic solver like download the hornady app download like learn how to use these things and true your data um, so using a ballistic solver to actually know what your drop is is so valuable especially if you come out west like being able to know like so my drop from 100 to a thousand yards is 31.4 inches or whatever so that's going to equivalent somewhere around 30 moa to get dial out to a thousand yards. Um, people don't understand that. And then they go to the range and think, oh, I've sighted this in at 300 yards, but I don't really don't know how my drop is. I haven't trued this. Then they think they're going to go out west and shoot a 600 yard animal and they miss. Invest yeah. some time in your good ballistic data and truing that up. And there's a lot of good articles on that online. Like call me, I'll help you. I do it all the time. Uh, but people don't understand that as well. So that would be my next one. Invest in a good ballistic solver. Um, if you start getting really crazy, kestrels are amazing. I use that a lot for my competitive shooting. But even apps just like Streelock are so invaluable. Um, here, I'll show you. So uh, because you can download all these elements that help you. And like even this, like I can have a whole reticle that shows what my drops over or what my drops are. Just if you're not good with inches, it'll tell you what your yardage is. Oh, okay, cool. And like, there's so many good tools that don't cost a fortune that you can use to help you be more confident in the rifle and the 
bullets that you're using. And that is very invaluable to me is that confidence level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It seems like a whitetail hunter, he'll shoot his bow, uh, 50 arrows a day all summer long. And then exactly. when rifle, when rifle season comes, we, uh, we, we shoot uh, two bullets through the rifle at 100 yards uh, the night before and we're ready to go, you know. It's like, ah. Uh. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess that, that works well. You're shooting something at 100 yards. Um, and the variation you're going to get in temperature and stuff is going to be so minimal that you'll never really see anything. But if that whitetail hunter's thinking about coming out west or shooting more open plains in Iowa – Yep. It's going to change how you react. I mean, there's some open places in the Midwest, like Kansas and uh, parts of Missouri, Nebraska, where you're sometimes having to take a four or 500 yard shot and they've never practiced to that end. They've never, you know, trained themselves to be in that situation. And a lot of animals get hurt because they don't actually know how their rifle performs under those situations. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Like I said, what, uh, you mentioned, uh, I was going to ask you, I think you mentioned a second ago, but what's a good resource like for people that don't know what all these terms mean that you've been talking about and, and how to learn how to actually use a rifle scope? Is there like a good uh, resource you'd recommend going to? Uh, so, yeah, there's a couple I really like right now that are easily accessible. So long range tactics on Facebook, uh, a guy named Cole Kornberg and our buddies, and he has classes for people that are thinking about getting into long range hunting, uh, modern day sniper with Philip Vallejo, like there's some good materials out there. And then the other thing is, is actually in your area, you guys are really blessed with a lot of precision rifle competitions right now. Mm -hmm. Like find a local league and go out, even if it's 22s and learn how to use your stuff from top to bottom. And those are some of the best people I've ever met. That's how I actually got into precision rifle is a guy that worked with us helping me design a reticle. Um, invited me down to come shoot a match and i was like all right well you know i haven't shot competitively in quite a few years i come from a sporting clay background and you know i'll come down i was hooked and those guys are the nicest folks they want you to be successful they want to teach you like the local shooting groups are much more beneficial uh for my growth as a hunter and a, and a shooter than anything i've ever been to and i've shot national matches and everything else but my local group and the desire to see people succeed out of that group is incredible. And if you really want to like develop your marksmanship, get in with a local group like that. Yeah, for sure. And I can, uh, I have to have kind of a, a funny story. I was in, I was on vacation this summer out West in Montana. Were we in Montana? We were, uh, we were driving through somewhere anyways. And, uh, we stopped in, a uh, stayed at a hotel and there must've been a competition, a competitive shoot going on in that town because, everybody in there was in this, uh, in this shoot. And like, they're the nicest guys. We got to talk about hunting, you know, and I was, yeah. we got to chit chatting about all that. And, um, the couple guys that were, uh, down at the breakfast thing, we were talking, talking to them and they were like, giving me all this, these tips and information, um, about how to become a better shot and optics. And, uh, yeah, they seem like really good people. Yeah. These guys are experienced. They spend more than 20 bullets a year trying to hone their craft and yeah. uh, understand trajectories and how rifles work and how their scopes work. And I mean, and that's where you can start getting into some differences between lower grade scopes and the premium stuff that these guys are using. Um, and, you know, down from what whitetails hunter hunters use to here. And so 
I mean, that kind of touches on something I didn't really touch on, but uh, like when you get into that quality of scope, trackability, repeatability, like these guys are dialing into a thousand yards and back and that has to move a thousand yards and back. Mm -hmm. And when you get in those cheaper scopes, like is a quarter click MOA, a quarter inch MOA, really a quarter inch MOA? Like those are the questions you have to start asking yourself when you get into these scopes and you're starting to dial for distance. Like I'm assuming that what the manufacturer says is correct, but you know, these are still man-made objects. They can still have slight variance that when you get out to a thousand yards, what looks small on a, at a hundred yards is ginormous at a thousand yards. Like a fifth of an inch in difference makes 30 inches down range. Yeah. Which and is a humongous miss. Yeah. Humongousness. So you get <laughs> yeah. like, I'm all for, you know, use the budget you have to get into the sport and just really learn skills from it instead of worrying about your gear and investing gear as you get better and, you know, you go forward and just invest as you can. Um, but if you start out with something super, super cheap, you are going to struggle from day one. And I mean, the same thing kind of holds true for the whitetail hunter. If you invest in something super cheap and you, you're expecting it to perform more than that hundred yard range. You might be very disappointed when you try to stretch out what that optic is supposed to do or that rifle, the bow by not doing that. I mean, same thing with bow hunters. Like you spend a lot of money on a good site, um, dialing, et cetera, something that's going to be sturdy to the bow, a good quiver to make sure that arrow comes out at the right spot, like to make sure it's not bouncing around. Like you spend a lot of money on your bow to where guys like that don't think about spending that money onto the glass, onto their, onto their mm-hmm. rifle because good glass can make a bad rifle better. Yeah. And I was, I was just going to be my next uh, question. You hear, you hear like the old timers or people say in general, uh, you should spend as much uh, on your optics as your rifle. You think that's something that is like a good rule of thumb or do you think it's more important to like, would you go out and be like, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on a rifle scope and 500 on, on a, a rifle. Yeah, I've always heard the adage, spend twice as much on your glass as you okay. do your rifle. Oh, you're, um, yeah, you're, yeah. And maybe that's uh, the Western hunting mentality. I was going to say, yes. uh, Because <laughs> it really thing. does mean a lot when you get out here. Um, yeah. And, I mean, really put as good a glass as you can afford. If you can afford a really good rifle, like, you should be able to afford a really nice piece of glass for that rifle. Um, Budget that out accordingly. So if you can't spend what you want for glass and rifle, scale the rifle back just a little bit. There's a lot of really good rifles being manufactured right now. We're kind of entering the golden age of rifle scopes uh, or rifle shooting period, because right now you have all these other companies making high precision based clone actions. And it's really stepped up a lot of these rifle manufacturers to make a better quality product because well, for years, the market didn't demand it. And now you have these guys with that are machinists making high-end stuff. Uh, and so, like, I can go out and build a new rifle with a Remington 700 clone with a performance barrel, everything, and have something that shoots incredibly better than their top-end rifle that's coming out of the factory right now. So we're kind of in this golden age, or coming into this golden age where uh, – Rifle manufacturers have had to step up and tighten their tolerances and make better products because other people can make better products of the same thing they've been making for years. And so you can absolutely step into a better rifle now at an $800 price point than ever before. And if that's where your budget is, do it. Find those kind of companies that have really upped their game and step into them. Like there are some really clean 
Christians in arms, all that sort of stuff running around that are high end without mm -hmm. depending on what model you have without paying that high end price. Yeah, for sure. And it does seem like most people have it backwards where they're like, they dumb down the optics because they've spent too much on the the rifle. You know, yeah. it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the, I'll, I'll upgrade the rifle without, you know, and, and, and sacrifice the optics for it, where it's yeah. probably people probably need to have the complete opposite. opposite. Mindset. Yeah. So mm -hmm. really the two biggest factors, the three biggest factors that can affect your shooting is more or less, yeah, the rifle's a little bit of that. But the quality of cartridge that you're using, yeah. the glass that you're using, because if you can't correct for parallax, if you can't see mirage to call your shots, stuff like that, it, it's all for naught. And yeah. like if you're shooting factory ammunition that's all over the place, like you're going to have mm. a kind of meh experience. And if you're shooting a piece of glass that you can't quite get honed in and you're chasing around that parallax, you're going to have all sorts of weird outliers when you put it down range. Yeah. And it's super frustrating when any of those things are happening. Like, uh, I've, I've went through a rabbit hole and I never really figured it out to be honest with you, but it's like, I tried every single round or, or brand of, of, uh, ammunition through a, a gun, you know, and finally found the one that it liked to shoot. But, um, all that stuff is, is, uh, important. Yeah, and that's where you can get down the expensive rabbit hole yeah. of hand-loading. <laughs> and, I mean, the goal of hand-loading is, one, yes, it is a little more cost-effective than buying factory ammunition off the shelf. But, yeah. two, I can have tolerances that are closer and tighter than anything that's coming out of the factory right now. So, like, if I chronograph my load coming out and I have a standard deviation under one, like, I'm doing pretty good. If I'm starting to have that open up and have something that's my averages are – wider than that i will have some flight differences at a thousand yards that i might be a little worried about like if i'm sitting at a thousand yard troop line and they tap my heel and say shoot at that thousand yard what 18 inch square i might miss yeah. it completely i would definitely miss it completely <laughs> oh practice no uh, practice yeah yeah i i'm i uh i'm gonna commit to it and get be a better better rifle shot um i think it's you know there's a um, at least in the bow, bow hunting world, you know, there's always this stigma about, uh, uh, gun hunting and I, I like it all. Like I grew up gun hunting and yeah, uh, I think it's, uh, it's fun. It's all, it's all fun to, to do bow hunting, rifle hunting and all that. So, um, no, I agree. And then my last, or kind of one of my last two biggest thing takeaways is people practice on a bench all the time. Mm -hmm. Get off the bench, zero your rifle and never go back to the bench ever again period. Like start practicing, building good positions. Like if you're sitting in a tree stand. Why are you not practicing sitting freehand or using some sort of support in a different fashion than sitting on a bench? Um, yeah. If you're stalking the woods, why aren't you practicing standing freehanding that rifle at a hundred yards? Um, if you're out in the prairie, like, so I got antelope hunting and depending where I am, the sage is five foot. Like I got to be able to shoot over that. Am I using a tripod? Am I using, or what am I using to elevate myself to get over those elements and practicing like that? Um, and that is something that people do not do enough real world experience and training to be successful. And same goes for the whitetail hunter. Like, again, it's that more than 20 rounds a year thing, but it's being able to, I'm sitting in a blind on a sandbag how often do I practice that kind of weird hunch 
as I'm shooting out of a ground blind on that sandbag or whatever I'm using in that ground blind to make my shot. Yeah, for sure. Not very often. No, that's a great point. And so you're definitely going to have some abnormalities in where you're placing that bullet just because you're not comfortable being in that uncomfortable position you've never trained for. So that's another big takeaway. And then the one question I get all the time here at Maven, every phone call for a warranty repair work on a rifle scope is, oh, my scope, it's, it's my scope that's wrong. Like it's the scope's not tracking right. And a lot of people have just really not mounted their stuff well. Check your mm. torques, check your rings, like make sure everything is level. Like people, it's again, the quality of the rifle that we're seeing these days are much more uh, precision built, but you're still seeing variances that when you put on your MOA rails, like they're maybe not equal or level or the rails not level. And so you get this twist when you bolt mm -hmm. it down to the gun and people aren't betting their rails or any of that to make sure they're getting nice, flat, even surfaces to mount things on. So where you're not torquing and twisting and uh, same with your rings. Um, when you mount your scope in your rings, it's, you know, people don't want a torque wrench and they're just tightening it so much. And some scopes have more or less tolerance than others for that type mm -hmm. of behavior. Um, but it can make a huge difference in how that erector moves through that rifle scope. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm zeroed and then it breaks free. Well, I put this torque on the ring when I was trying to adjust my initial zero. And eventually that erector moves free and now my shots are 10 mm. inches up the paper. Yeah. Well, you pinched that housing somewhere and it's made some problems for you. And so people don't understand how much, you know, proper torquing their, their rifle scope, everything means in the long run for performance. I, uh, a few years ago, I bought my dad like a, I think it was made by Weaver, but it's like a kit, a rifle mounting kit. And it has, I mean, it was a couple hundred dollars, I think, but that me and him have used that a lot. And like, whenever we use all those tools, you know, they have, you know, levels and, and things to you know, bore out your, your rings to make sure they're uh, perfectly yeah, flat lapping. and all that. Lapping. Yeah. It's like, you realize like how horrible we used to do uh mountain rifle scopes when you start using all those tools to make everything perfect um, yeah and, and it's still kind of the same way today like i haven't lapped a set of rings in a long time um yeah. i still have all the lapping compound and stuff for the older rings um i've done more epoxy bedding of my rings uh because they're okay. machined so well like in theory you hear that oh i'm not gonna actually like do anything to these i'm just going to slap them on the gun and slap the scope in it and be done with it and yes they are manufactured so precise but because they're manufactured at volume there's always a little slight discrepancy that can happen in that and you see this a lot going through the precision rifle community uh about epoxy bedding and so not along not along just doing your moa rail but epoxy bedding the lower part of your ring set too and there's some cool videos. There's not a lot about that out there right now, but it, it is something to just help that, that there's no pressure. So you set that ring in there, you let that epoxy dry and pull it out and you should have something that perfectly goes alongside that scope. And then when you do torque them, you're not going to get any slight pinching that causes just slight torquing in the rings. Hmm. I've never heard of that. I don't have to look into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah look well, up we... uh, Jim C. He's okay. a big, big guy in the precision rifle community, community Jim C S E E. 
I will do that for sure. We've been on here for an, an hour now, Molly. Um, it's fine. I can you, talk all day about rifles. <laughs> do you have anything else uh, you, you want to cover? Um, not unless you really want to cover things. Um, I mean, tips and tricks, like you can start spending a lot of money on these things and there, there's mm -hmm. no doubt, but finding a company that, you know, invests in that quality and bringing that to the consumer is someone you can partner with for the long run. And that's kind of what we do at Maven. Um, my competitive rifle scope starts at 1800 bucks and goes against some of the best night forces calls, all the big names in that kind of industry. And, you know, we're a small mover in, in any community like that. Like we don't advertise like the big guys. Um, it's kind of a word of mouth thing for us. So our name Maven actually means like an industry in, or like an influencer, a trusted expert. Um, it's something that we pulled out of Mac Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point book when they started the company. And we treat all of our customers like that because you would trust your friend who has this product, uses it, has had great success with this product more so than you would trust a sales rep who's never used it and is just peddling it because it's in a certain price point that fits your budget. Like for us, the success of our company and our product really comes off the user and the user talking about our product. It's better than any $60,000 one page advertisement I can have in some big magazine um, yeah. that we've really built our company on. And I think um, if you would go on the internet and kind of look at uh, reviews on optics, like people do like rock slide and some of those companies like that to do like bulk Absolutely. Uh, optic reviews. Like it's, it's a, uh, it's no coincidence that Maven almost always seems like for the price is up there at the very top every time. Yeah. Um, the glass speaks for itself. Price level. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about them. I've I've been using them for a couple of years now and love them. So I'm yeah. I'm excited to get get the the rifle scope and um, mounted and get it all go or it's mounted, but get it out and start shooting it and stuff and seeing the the quality difference there from what I came from. Yeah, absolutely. What did you end up putting on your rifle? You don't mind me. Uh, it's it's the RS. Uh, I think it's the R. Is it the RS one? Yeah. That one yeah. is one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. What makes that rifle scope unique is that it's got a really low zoom setting at two and a half and yeah. then 15. If you want the all around scope, you can take anywhere in North America. That is the scope to me because I can take it to Michigan and harvest a nice white tail with it. And I can take it out here and harvest an elk at 600 yards. And as long as I have good dope for both areas because altitude and all that changes yeah. all that information, as long as I know what my holdovers are in each environment, I can be a very successful hunter from top to bottom with that particular rifle scope. If I wanted to spend my investment once, that would be probably the one I'd go to every time. Yep. That's um, Newt was helping me uh, figure all that stuff out. And that's kind of the one I, I landed on. Um, yeah. And I'm putting it on a, I have a, a Savage 30-06 and I've been kind of throwing around the idea of getting something different, but uh, I don't know. It's probably good enough for me right now until uh, I, I learn how to use it. 30 odd six has served numerous generations successfully in the 30 cal oh, um, yeah. market from whitetail hunters to elk hunters. Like I grew up hunting a 30 odd six. It's not mm -hmm. something I gravitate towards now that I have invested some time and money in all the toys. Um, I'm playing a little bit of the cartridge chaser game right now in the seven millimeter cat category between the Psalms and the saws. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> For sure, when you start looking at velocities and impacts, and um, yeah, it is you for can sure. Get 
pretty darn technical on stuff like that right now, um, which mm -hmm. also makes it really cool. Um, so yeah. yeah, when you're ready to grow up from the 30 odd six, <laughs> do you have uh do you have a like recommendation on like uh, someone that wants to get a good rifle like what's a good one to, to pick up right now Ooh, um, gosh, that's like right, that's that's kind of like easy to get you know not i don't know if you want to say easy to get but you know what i mean like what i'm um, personally digging um is unless i'm building it custom which now is pretty much all i ever do is build custom rifles um what I am digging is the Tikas right now. Their action is just unparalleled in the market and the Bagar. Okay. Like those are two I would readily recommend to anyone all day, every day. Christensen Arms, they're working off that 700 clone action. Their rifles mm -hmm. are stupendous if you have a little bit more money to spend without breaking the bank. Um, I would lean somewhere right in between those three. They just have their, their actions feel so smooth and the quality of barrel you're getting from those companies right now is really high. Um, so if I had to kind of put my money into, into, into rifles I've recently shot while traveling this year, it would be somewhere in those three. Like I competed a whole year of the NRL Hunter on a Christensen MPR that I absolutely loved. And then yeah. I, I uh, built out a Tika for this past season. And I can't say enough good things about those guns. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things about the Tikas too. Um, just haven't, hadn't got, got my hands on one yet. So yeah, for a stock action, they're incredible and you can get barrel prefits and everything to get them swapped out, take them to gunsmith. They'll help you with that. Um, and you can just slightly start upping the quality of that build based mm -hmm. off that same action. You can take that oh, okay. action out. There's prefit chassis out there. If you want to get crazy and get better free for loading chassis and you can mm -hmm. just plug and play that same action you've invested in and improve it just a little bit at a time, like drop a new trigger in it. Like a nice Briggs and Andy or a trigger tech drop one of those in there. You've just increased your game a little bit at a time and, you know, improve that gun a little bit year over year, like a new carbon fiber barrel from proof makes a huge difference for folks. Hmm. And this is true in the 22 community. Like I get a lot of guys throwing barrel tuners on their, on their barrels. Cause they have these weird flower flyers. And I'm like, just, just get a new barrel please do the world a favor and just get a new barrel. Stop putting tuners on and putting band-aids on it. Just go get a brand new barrel, swap it out. You will love your life a lot better. Like invest in a different barrel. And yeah. so with the Tikas and stuff like that, you can absolutely, Bargaras, you can absolutely do those slight upgrades and make a better rifle um, for yourself to shoot. If you want to shoot a little bit competitively, you can and have something kind of intro to competitive competition, or you can still take it hunting and have something that's going to be, you know, sub MOA quality that you built or that you kind of adjusted at home. So yeah. if I'm note, note, just, you know, take your barrels to a gunsmith. Uh, most yeah, people right. don't know how to mount those properly and make sure they're pre-fit for their headspace. So please take those to a gunsmith. Right. Yeah. It's like, this isn't financial advice. This is just, two people talking on a podcast no <laughs> it feels anyway. that way sometimes yeah right uh yeah i'm not a doctor just play one on a podcast that's uh, right anyway molly i appreciate you getting on can you pitch maven one time tell people where they can uh find you i'm gonna put it in the description of the video guys we're consumer direct so that means unless you call the office see us at a trade show my website is the best place to come see us come visit us at mavenbuilt.com b-u-i-l-t
Um, up there, you'll see all of our demo program offerings. We also have a custom builder. You can build all my premium binoculars and special coatings and colors from Cryptek Kuyu to First Light. Uh, green rings, blue rings, orange rings, that's kind of the beauty of what we do. Um, when you really decide you want to invest in a pair, the custom builder is very unique. I would definitely hop on there and play with that. Uh, we love building those for customers specifically to order. Otherwise, everything else drop ships typically within a business day unless you need some specialty engraving or something done to it. Um, we do try to get those things out as quickly as possible during hunting season. But, you know, follow our social media on Facebook, Instagram, sign up for our newsletter at mavenbuilt.com at the bottom of the homepage. If you need any warranty work or anything, that's also a great place to find the forms to get that rolling and our team will get you through as quickly as possible. Um, that's really our best way to call or to, to deal with us besides calling us at the 1-800 number. It's on the website um, and any one of my team will help you. Awesome. Molly, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Yep. Everybody have a uh, good morning, evening, whatever you're uh, listening to this uh, at. So uh, see you guys later.